between you and me, right where you are right in this moment, is exactly where you were meant to be. So, wherever that may be, just be. To be a new you. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the Orgasmic Life Podcast. For permission slip to raise your standards and live an even more amazing life. Now, if you're feeling like that's way out of the ball game and you're really suffering with like pain in your body, guilt, shame, anxiety, depression, like these emotions run a lot of people's lives and that's not by accident. Our culture is set up to keep us in those emotions because it's easier to control people when they're in those emotions. But if you're on an awakening journey and you have recognized that those are there, you have taken the most crucial step to get out of that, which is to become aware that it's actually happening. Just time to awaken, to bring all the parts of yourself back to this present moment and explore the joy that is your life when you live full out, fully expressed, fully harnessing the joygasmic potential of your body and yourself. Anything is possible. And especially we are here to tell you that deep and fulfilling love is possible and is available for you when you choose that for yourself. Dr. Sierra has dedicated her practice of naturopathic medicine to serving babies and their parents. Her approach to care is always baby-centered. A thriving baby equals a thriving mama and a thriving family. It is a fact that prenatal life in the first five years are the most impactful on human development. Dr. Sierra addresses health on all levels, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Everything she creates serves as a resource to support pregnancy and provide the best natural and conventional tools to ensure baby's optimal growth and mama's well-being. Naturopathic medical care places a significant emphasis on preventative medicine, or in other words, the cultivation and maintenance of health. A baby-centered approach to care is the ultimate expression of preventative medicine. Dr. Sierra can be reached through her website, babycentered.com, or by email or Instagram, which are available in the show notes. So look forward to sharing this interview, and if you haven't already checked out some of the resources around preventing challenges in pregnancy by clearing out glyphosate before pregnancy even occurs, please check in some of the information that I'm providing as well as what Dr. Sierra shares in this episode about cleansing before pregnancy. So welcome, Sierra. I'm so glad to have you on the Joygasmic Life podcast, and I'm looking forward to diving into all things fertility and preconception today. Thank you so much for being here on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, for those people, you know, I've read your bio, but for those people who are just getting to know you, can you give me a little bit of information? How did you get into working with families and babies? Um, it's really a culmination of my entire adult life, which has always been uh, on the path of healing. So in my undergrad studies, I was a psychology major and then I got into massage therapy and then yoga and then oriental medicine and energy medicine. And that led me to um, naturopathic medical school and in all of those systems. So psychology, massage, oriental medicine, all the systems really 
as you dive in, they point to the prenatal window, the prenatal time of life. So time in utero and that our earliest years are the most formative on essentially the entire trajectory of our life in terms of our physical well-being and our mental emotional well-being. So trauma experienced in the womb shows very distinct patterns as development progresses. Um, so all these different systems kept pointing me back to this time of life. And then also my natural inclination is I love babies and kids. I just find that they're so naturally in the moment and present Absolutely. that it's such a joy to be with them because you just get to really be in this present moment awareness space, which is almost always fun. <laughs> <laughs> So I just all keep gravitating back to this time. The biggest impact is this specific energy medicine system that I study, um, which is an oriental medicine. And also the woman who I learned from is a neuropsychologist. So she really bridges Western and Eastern philosophies. And the entire premise of her healing system is the prenatal origins of health. So it's really learning, it's, it's a healing journey that gets you back to that root, the like ultimate root cause of healing and teaches you self-care applications to balance your nervous system in a way that repairs that your earliest wounds, your earliest experiences of trauma. So it's the resolution of trauma, that particular system. And then every, all the dots just started connecting for me in terms of, so my, my um, bias is towards preventative medicine and really optimizing human potential. And so for me, it's like a no brainer then to focus on the prenatal, even preconception time, because actually if we really focus in on prenatal, we need to take one more step and look at preconception because um, so many ways to think about it but basically the state of both the sperm and the egg, the mother and the father prior to conceiving is also at play here. So you can, we can think about it on like an energetic spiritual level, but also like, I always have to turn on my science brain because that's just the society we live in. And no, the, more, <laughs> the more we, the more science dives into this, like we're looking at genetics all the time and epigenetics is actually the under the science that genetics can be modified and based on experience. And so in this preconception window, we can actually modify genetic expression. Ooh. So that's just kind of my focus right now because everything leads me back to that point. And I really believe in human potential and that our essence is to just be so connected and and feel love and joy to have a joygasmic life like I that's yes that's just my my disposition so that's where I chose to focus my my energies on my practice and everything that I create absolutely oh my gosh you touched on so many things that are like juicy and exciting for me there um I think we ended up sort of talking about babies and and birth and and conception for the same some of the same reasons which is you know, there's, there's a lot of work to be done on the existing human species as it exists. But if we can 
prepare this next generation in a different way if we can give them absolutely the best start like that's what that's the legacy that we're passing on that's the you know the genetic lineage that we're passing on and absolutely if we can do that with as little trauma as possible as little pain as possible with as much nutrition as possible with without sort of all of our own emotional baggage and challenging baggage going on um, that's absolutely yeah. absolutely important and uh, I mean, from an energetic standpoint, I remember it was like a, a week or two before my son was conceived and it was like an unconscious conception. I didn't really know that's what I was doing at the time. But nevertheless, I, I did work on my conception right before he was conceived. And it's like, I, didn't, I was right at the beginning of my wake up journey. So I didn't actually know that's what was happening. Wow. But like, oh, like I, I cleared space in my energetic field for... Yeah the experience of having a baby come through, uh, through joyful sex rather than challenging sex, which is sort of the story that I was holding on to that I had been conceived from challenging or unpleasant sex rather yeah. than joyful, joygasmic, beautiful sex. And I think yeah. that leads us really, really well into sort of this topic of infertility and what's going on in the world in terms of people not being able to conceive babies, you know, IVF, uh, intravitro, intravitro, fertilization well, I shouldn't have even tried uh, is uh, is like on the rise it's hugely expensive like tens of thousands of dollars multiple rounds invasive procedures all sorts of stuff and there's so much stuff so many things that we can try outside of that sort of that IVF to either help that process or to just not even need that process and literally allow the body to conceive on its own so can you tell me a little bit about sort of where people are at when they you know are when they start working with you are that have they often been trying to conceive and it's not working or are they sort of looking to con like like i encountered you because i was look i'm looking to conceive and i was like how do i do this in the best way possible so do you get people from both camps or is it sort of more yeah. one than the other i i have people from both camps so i will say that the the i've done polls and all the facebook groups all the moms groups and so on my you know very unscientific <laughs> data collection um, but in my experience, the vast majority of people are conceiving without really putting any um, thought into it prior. They're just kind of going yeah. for it. So maybe they yeah. are taking a prenatal vitamin and like cutting back on drinking a little bit, maybe. But for the most part, there's not um, much thought into like, oh, I want to have a baby in the next year. I, I let, let me look around and start like optimizing my health and my hormones and preparing our bodies and our home and our energy space and our healing work. Like that's some very, that's like 25% of people that I've pulled. And yeah. so, however, that's that exciting, 20, actually like, that's exciting. Like 25%, like for me, I thought the number would maybe be like five or like two. So that's really exciting. But obviously you have like a, your own audience that's already interested in this yeah. kind of stuff. So 25% is still incredible. That's really exciting. Yeah. And so, so that, that sliver, that piece, that piece of the pie is part of my group right now. Right now I'm leading a preconception journey. It's a four course program. So I would say at least half of the women in that group are not currently experiencing any infertility issues as they're aware of, but they were already of the mindset that were, they were looking for something to um, prepare themselves, just yeah. more um, health conscious individuals in general. And then yeah. there are probably the other half or so right around there are experiencing infertility issues. And they're just at the beginning of 
considering like, are we going to, cause they, they might be coming up. So, um, in conventional medicine, if, if you've been having unprotected sex for a year and have not achieved pregnancy, it's considered infertility. If right. you're over 35, they give you six months. Okay. So that being said, uh, there is a portion of my group and people who are, I've been communicating with who are on that, in that camp as well. So I have a spectrum of, of people for sure. And the good thing is everything I teach and everything I present will help all of those people because everything I'm putting forward is to um, optimize genetic expression, optimize hormone function, optimize reproductive organ function. So no matter what path people go down for conceiving their baby, they're gonna be putting themselves at the best odds for a healthy pregnancy. Yeah. And there's, I mean, healthy pregnancy is no small, no small task. Like on any of those sort of mom boards, you're like, women are puking every day, multiple times a day. Women are, you know, not able to get up. There's a huge amount of exhaustion. Their teeth are deteriorating. Like there's a whole bunch of sort of symptomology of underlying health issues that maybe don't present themselves until you get pregnant. And it's like, that's a, that's an issue. You know, it's an issue, not only for the mom who's like now maybe has a second baby on the way and is really exhausted and tired, but also for the baby, because it means that the body's, the mom's body is really not optimally nourished and, and in a hormonal space to be able to, to help and create that baby in the most optimal way. I, I was one of those moms and pregnant moms. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's part of why, so I, I was in my last semester of, of medical school when I got pregnant. And so I had already completed a lot of coursework on the importance of preconception planning. So that's like standard in our education is preconception uh, protocols. Now, yeah. even in conventional medicine, they emphasize like OB-GYN, gynecologist doctors, they emphasize the importance of preconception, um, like awareness for women of reproductive age, if they're having any unprotected sex, they should be um, on a prenatal vitamin, blah, blah, blah. But they don't really, it, it might be like two minutes in your visit with your, with your doctor. And yeah. there's also no concept of like, okay, this woman's been on birth control for 10, 15 years. She wants to have a baby. It's like, Oh, just pull the IUD out, turn off the pill and like, go ahead, go for it. And from my training, it's like birth control pill depletes a lot of vitamins and minerals just because of the way your body has to process it. So there's at least a three month, three to six month window to replete nutrients and really focus on hormones. If a woman's been on birth control, et cetera. Anyway, that's just like a side note, but like- that's a, that's a whole topic. We could spend a whole hour and a half okay. talking about hormonal birth control and some of the issues there. And maybe I'll have you come back and we can do, yeah. do But the fact is pregnancy is extremely demanding on the body. It, there's no way around it. I mean, very few women, my, my sister-in-law just had a baby and she was like blissed out, never had any nausea. She had some, she napped every day. That was the extent of it. But that's like, I, I, she's the only woman I've ever met who will tell me that with her pregnancy, a firsthand account. I was preparing, I prepared for almost a year before I got pregnant. I did cleanses. I was on all my supplements. I get acupuncture every couple of weeks. I'm a massage therapist. I'm getting massage. I'm going in the ocean every day, like blah, blah, blah. 
I've, I love pregnancy. I love babies. I was so excited to be pregnant. Oh my God, goddess land. Here we come. <laughs> yeah. I was miserable. Absolutely. The first trimester till about 20 weeks. I mean, I mean, I was excited and there's this magic and I could feel this like energy beam coming through me. Like I could feel the connection to like cosmic creative energy. I could feel that. And that was magical. And I loved it. But oh my God, was I sick and exhausted and just cried, like bloated. And cr- I would call my midwife crying, like, I am a failure. I did it wrong, blah, blah, blah. And like, it just is what, I mean, you can do all you can do. That's another reason I emphasize the preconception because then I, my diet was like rice cakes and peanut butter. Yeah. And so it's like, thank God I prepared my body beforehand because I had a robust nutrient store. But my lesson from all of that was like, this is a gift to surrender and rest and slow down. And so I rested and I allowed my body to rest and slow down. And and that is what I needed. And, you know, unfortunately, most people don't in our society don't have that option. They have to keep powering through. Yeah, which is super challenging and and stress inducing and that has stress has impacts on the hormones and on the, you know, the body functioning and on our nutrition, so many things. So stress has a a huge impact on the fetus as well. That's one of the most robust bodies of data that we have, even from the conventional world. It can it can retard growth of the fetus. It it has really big implications on fetal development, like unchecked cortisol levels. Babies will be born addicted to cortisol, addicted to stress hormones. So it's like, but then I talk like that and then people get stressed out about their stress. <laughs> so I have to tread lightly. There's, there's ways to handle that. There's ways to handle that. I totally cover that in the like joygasmic birth course, how to, how to work with the vagus nerve and the, the cal- calming of that sort of fight flight system back into to rest and digest. And you absolutely do not have to remove all of your stressors. You just need to learn how to deal with them differently, how exactly. to manage them differently, how to be sort of differently in your body when you have those stressors, right? So exactly. yeah. 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 And, and I think, you know, this is a really great time to point out too, that, you know, everybody's doing the best they can with what they know. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you can see that your first pregnancy or second or third, one of your previous pregnancies, you were really stressed out and you can see the impact of that on your children. It's like, just forgiveness, forgiveness, Mm -hmm. kindness, self-love, like you were doing absolutely the best that you knew how to do at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and now that you know better, you know, if you're planning for an another pregnancy, you can absolutely set up a different nest for yourself. And that's what a lot of women are doing is they're, they're just going, we're going to set up a different nest. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the biggest like point is to just like let go of any of that shame and guilt and just like breathe through it and take it one moment at a time. It's all we can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So can we, can we talk a little bit about that sort of the stress and and the hormones and talk a little bit more deeply to me about how that actually does impact the fetus? Like what, what is that? Cause we talk about sort of, it's like a symbiotic relationship that the mom and the baby have. So what happens when the mom's getting stressed out to the baby on a physical level? You know, so first of all, the, the, the biggest stress hormone is cortisol and maybe people hear that cortisol 
maybe not. We can just stick to stress hormone. I get a little bit confused sometimes because a lot of my bubble is like other practitioners. So just please ask me to um, put it in more simple terms if I need to. But okay, so even before pregnancy, the stress hormone shares the same hormone lineage as the reproductive hormones. So the same precursors that make the reproductive hormones come from, um, they share the same precursors as the stress hormones. So that's a chemical structure makeup that again goes through different enzyme pathways. And depending on what's going on in the body, if there's high stress, that chemical backbone will get shuttled into the stress hormone pathway and then less will be available for the reproductive hormone pathway. So we call that the cortisol steal. So unchecked stress levels can literally steal from the reproductive hormones. So that can be an issue in um, infertility. In fact, I was just doing research on this and it's pretty cool. Well, it's nice. Like I like data, but I also have no problem connecting my, the dots with my own brain without the data, but for stress, there's a ton of, and, um, couples who are experiencing infertility, who go through different programs for stress management have significantly higher successful pregnancy rates. And it's, you know, my brain connects that to the regulation of that stress hormone and allowing the reproductive hormones to balance themselves out. That's one way. This is even prior. And that's just like super simple counseling sessions where they're in like a a very conventional counseling setting of teaching them how to like manage stress and stressors. And then um, change your thoughts, that kind of stuff. Another way, even prior to conception, that stress has an impact on fertility and reproductive function is stress creates free radical damage to the cells themselves. So that means that it can in, in that cellular environment, it create it, it damages, it damages the cells. So it can, it can damage the health of the eggs. It can, it can, it can basically impact, um, every stage of, of fertility from conception to implantation. And it's, it's not only the stress hormone, this is where also all the other environmental toxins that essentially result in stress on the body. Uh, they all feed into the same. I can send you some images that I use in my presentations. If you post anything anywhere, I don't know in the comments. Yeah, or sure. I'll make sure, if you send those to me, I'll make sure they get into the, the show notes. There's like a blog post that goes along with the, the podcast. So I'll make sure they get in there. Yeah. So, and then, okay. So let's say conception happens, pregnancy is moving all along, all good. The stress hormone can easily cross the placenta and get into baby's system uh-huh. so that's the point where it, it in the same regard that it can have um like oxidative stress on the cells it can have that stress on the developing fetus oh. and um actually get into the baby's bloodstream and yeah. has an impact on all different types of hormone processes Absolutely. Oh my gosh. That just, I might like, part of me is just like, no, like, 
like the, just thinking about all the pregnant ladies out there who are like ah and living in this like really really stressful world it's like yeah that's ugh. i mean wow. humans are amazingly adaptive and resilient i mean there's babies being born in war zones yeah. you know like we're an like never under, I never underestimate our potential for resiliency. Yeah. And even though sometimes I like, I don't know, I don't know about this line of thought anymore, but I also, but I, I still kind of use it, which is like, it's all part of the story of our story of, of figuring out how to be human and of just being here. So like, just yeah, it just is and, and, and so you know whatever here I am and here's my role to just try and share this information and you know see what happens see if it can make a little ripple on somebody <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely I mean it's impacting me I'm like okay so I have a new I that piece that you shared about sort of the, the stress steal I like I knew that stress was challenging for the body obviously you're in like cortisol it doesn't feel good that like the blood's pumping really fast everything's sort of racing but it didn't and I knew it wasn't really good for me but I didn't really connect that it wasn't good for me because you know sort of the the nutrition that's going into the body has a choice of either going into supporting the stress or going into supporting the, re, the relaxation and sort of baby making hormones it's like oh my gosh, like if that's the case, obviously if we want to support healthy pregnancy, we absolutely have to deal with stress. We absolutely have to deal with sort of those, those underlying and chronic things that, that make it challenging to stay relaxed because without that, and then if we think about the ladies who are sort of in this like puking experience or this like high stress with their other children and they're having a hard time with their experience of this pregnancy, it's like, well, we should be village parenting. You know, it shouldn't be one mom with four kids in a house with nobody else around. It should be like mom with aunts and sisters and cousins and nephews and other kids and all that. But a lot of people aren't in a place where they can snap their fingers and create that for themselves right now. So right. learning to deal with those stress hormones in a big way is absolutely super helpful. And then I think also about sort of the experience that people have in a medical setting, um, you know, I, I tend towards sort of the free birth, orgasmic home birth, that kind of mm -hmm. uh, like mindset and supporting women in that. Um, but if I think about a lot of women turn to that because they're having incredibly stressful interactions with their sort of Western industrial pregnancy OB or, or whatever sort of practitioner they're, they're at, or they're like medically based midwife, whatever that might be. These mm -hmm. women are like having, you know, weekly appointments that are adding to that stress level. Got to hop in the car, got to pack all five kids with, got to, you know, whatever that might be. And so there's like, that's adding to the stress. Yeah. And we absolutely see from thousands of women across the world, hundreds and millions of women across the world over the last hundred years who have absolutely given birth in their homes, in the backyard, in the dirt, in you know the middle of the jungle, wherever it is that they happen to be. There is this absolutely a uh, possibility of, of doing that birth just the way, not even free birth. It's just birth the way that birth has been for ages, which is supported by community and, and connected to people. And so to 
see sort of Western medical going, you need to come in and we're going to check your blood pressure and you're going to feel anxious about being here. So your blood pressure is probably going to be high. And then, you know, that whole conversation about cascade of interventions. And I get really, I get kind of worked up about that. So we don't necessarily have to talk about that today if you don't want to, because I know not everybody has same viewpoints as I do, or not everybody's sort of in that far down that particular rabbit hole. Um, but can you talk to me a little bit about sort of people and their experience in the medical care setting in terms of IVF, in terms of whatever, and then what you're offering in, in, in sort of response to that? Yeah, so let's see. There's a lot. There's so a much, lot. I know. Okay, let me just. Okay, so usually if I'm working with someone who is on the IVF path, it's because they want a more, they want to make sure they're doing everything like holistic as possible. Uh -huh. So there's a range of medical professionals. So some of them are more compassionate and more grounded and more open to really uh, informed consent and uh, respecting a woman's choices, et cetera. Some of them are like what I consider like dinosaurs <laughs> because honestly, the standard of care now, even in conventional medicine is to have, is that in, is informed consent and shared decision-making. You mm -hmm. as a doctor, even in the emergency room setting, I've done rotations in um, emergency room settings and I've seen them with people who are in like pretty, close to life or death situation. I mean, if it's truly life or death, like they're in trauma, they're out, they're, they're gonna do their best hands down and save that person. But if the person is coherent at all, they explain to them the procedure or the treatment that they would like to do and they obtain consent before mm. doing it. So that is how medicine should be practiced. And from what I hear from most people, that is not how it is practiced. Yeah. I'm starting to hear reports of it a little bit more that um, OB-GYN doctors, because this is my world, you know, are yeah. being better about explaining the options and then telling the woman, you can choose, here's your options, it's your choice. But it's still not as prevalent as it needs to be because whether you're going through pregnancy or any other point of life, the best is if people feel autonomy over their body. Absolutely. And aren't looking that the doctor is there for educated advice, opinion yeah. to help you understand and process what's going on. Like, I think of myself as like a detective, like, all right, we're going on your healing journey together and we're going to explore what's going on. And we're, it's detective work because yeah. my paradigm that I practice from is that the body is a part of the natural world, the natural order of things and has its own natural intelligence and is designed to bring itself into balance and to function super well and 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 from a point of this joygasmic life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the design that we are, are a part of. So the detective work is to figure out what's getting in the way of that and mm. how can we deal with what's getting in the way of that with as little intervention as possible so that yeah. the the momentum that heals and regulate things is that natural intelligence and the body isn't still depending on this outside input to regulate and be in balance yeah. 
Um, so we want to intervene as little as possible so that the natural intelligence can do its thing. So there's exceptions to this, like, again, and it goes to people to intergenerational patterns to prenatal life, major, major things that happen prenatally, they, they take a lot of work to heal postnatally. Mm. And so there is a place for for medications, for ongoing supplements, for all the things, for all the interventions, there's a place for that. I'm just tread very lightly. And one of, you know, my job is to make sure we're doing everything we can to support the body's natural intelligence and not keep creating a dynamic where it's dependent on something. Okay. So that's a huge tangent from your question. <laughs> but not really, because when women are on the, you know, are experiencing infertility and already on that path of doing IVF or whatever, that's still my disposition from which I'm working with them. So yeah. I want to know, so like, for example, I have a colleague who, it, who went to the same medical school as I did and has been practicing, has an awesome practice in California. And she's been on a six, <clears throat> seven year infertility journey. Wow. And she, she does it all. She ran there's a lot of toxins and heavy metals that can create infertility. So she ran all the labs on her and her husband. I mean, the whole thing before beginning IVF. It turns out there's a uh, genetic variation that can cause like an inborn vasectomy in a man. Wow. It's really rare. It's a chromosomal genetic variation. Yeah. And he was positive for that genetic SNP, we call it. And wow. so over all the years, like they did, they did heavy metal chelating because he had high heavy metals. They did a, a surgery on a varicocele, uh, which is basically a fluid in the testicles. They okay. did everything yeah. from, you know, holistic and conventional. And then it turns out they found this. So it's like, there's some sperm being, cause there was no sperm coming out in mm. the sperm samples. So, and then it turns out she had some interesting polycystic ovaries as well, but not polycystic PCOS. Mm. And anyway, this is just an aside to say like, yeah. there can be some major challenges to achieving uh, fertility. It's still only like 10, I think the latest is like 16% of couples experience infertility. Okay. Um, but yeah, so they, they I mean, this is Western medicine at its finest because they're able to go directly into the testicles, remove the sperm. And then she found a, a more, a more natural IVF specialist who uses as low dose hormones as possible to stimulate ovulation and do egg retrieval. Uh -huh. And then, you know, they go through the whole process of fertilizing the eggs and then they wait several months until her body has completely cleared the drugs that were used to stimulate ovulation mm -hmm. and then waited until, cause her, her cycles were really good and stable. There was enough progesterone to support a pregnancy. So waited until the natural point in her cycle when implantation would occur naturally. And at that point did the IVF. So she required, the only hormone she required was vaginal progesterone, which mm -hmm. is not uncommon to use if you're not familiar it's women who have recurrent pregnancy loss will 
prescribe that vaginally. It doesn't get absorbed systemically. Huh. It doesn't get absorbed into the body at large. It really only acts on the uterus and in early pregnancy until the placenta takes over in the second trimester, the uterus must produce enough progesterone to maintain the pregnancy. Wow. So in a lot of in a lot of women, this is extremely effective if there's been recurrent pregnancy loss. So anyway, um, I hope that that can connect, that connects. So there's a every the point is every couple who any person who's experiencing infertility, it's an extremely unique situation. Yeah. And my job in working with that person is making sure we're covering all the bases we can. And also I really see myself as a support, like even myself going into pregnancy, I had a midwife, I had my, my colleagues, I had my healer friends. I'm from Hawaii and all my friends here are either healers or artists. So it's like, yeah. I still, I, when the midwife I worked with, my appointments are an hour long. She gives me a massage, massages my feet, my tummy. I could ask all the questions. I still found myself Googling every single day and feeling <laughs> like I couldn't get enough support and like navigating it. So like, you know, I really see my role as creating a more support network so that women and families feel like they have a resource they can rely on to navigate. Absolutely. Navigate the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's like, so, like you said, being a detective and sort of going like, oh, like this is, this is the way, and this is the way you were mentioning had, had tried so many of the things, all of the things. And it turns out there's like one really unique piece about her husband that's that's causing this um you touched on on heavy metal toxicity uh can you share a little bit more about that in terms of because i would imagine that in terms of fertility like often we think about the women but men have so much of that journey as well can you share more about sort of that that journey especially if women have partners who have been doing you know like heavy industry type stuff and how that can impact their fertility journey yeah. Yeah, so I, I, everything I produce and share, I speak to the, the male counterpart, e well, maybe not equally, but I try to emphasize. Mm -hmm. And I, one thing, I, I love to use this metaphor that it's like a guard, like the womb is the garden and the, the sperm is the seed. Mm -hmm. And so the quality of your seed really matters. Like anyone who likes to grow food, like you really care about the lineage of the seed. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course you, you, if you, you know, if you've farmed or gardened at all, you realize the importance of the soil composition as well. And to me, that's like the womb space. Right. Yeah. Um, so I had a huge emphasis on the seed on the male part, um, at, at least 40% of infertility of for couples with infertility, 40% of it is from the man. Mm. So it's almost 50, 50. Yeah. Um, there's interesting data that men who eat a conventional standard American diet have significantly lower sperm count and motility. So function, you need to have enough sperm there and then they have to be well-functioning. And after going on an organic diet within three weeks, their, all their measures increase significantly, like statistically significantly from a conventional research paradigm Wonderful. that's so good to hear i'm just like what great great good to yeah. know 
and there's there's also there's been big long-term studies that look at sperm count and in the west and since the 70s the sperm count has declined 50 percent in western men and these are huge studies thousands of men and it's complete opposite in um places like india the the one study i'm thinking big study i mean this was on the this was on npr a couple years back and i was like oh my god and then i've been finding the data too and it's like yeah in india no change whatsoever so if these none of this research is you have to have like a randomized double double blind controlled study to like prove cause and effect so it's all speculative, like correlations, like what can, how can we think about the differences between like the Western and Eastern world, like population, what's going on here? And a big thing that comes out of this research is like obesity, diet, um, moving lifestyle. So like obesity has, it, obesity is clear in the data, like causes sperm count to go down. Uh-huh function to go down um but now we know like pesticides as well and this in particular it's roundup the big hitter is roundup um there's a a bunch i mean there's almost a hundred thousand man-made chemicals in the environment we're interacting with probably up to ten thousand a day and a lot of them are shown in animal studies to cause cause infertility so they caused sperm to stop producing yeah. I'm not going to elaborate. I mean, I, I have to like pull it up to like, you know, the specific enzyme pathways, but we can demonstrate in mice models, which have like basically the exact same reproductive system for male and female mice, that when we expose them to these chemicals, sperm production stops. Right. Yeah. And so if people, if people are exposed to these chemicals, you know, through cos- uh, conventional cosmetics, yeah. uh, smells, artificial fragrances, colors and food dyes, um, inorganic, like non-organic foods that are sprayed with pesticides, um, uh, grain, you know, like wheat products are a big source of that glyphosate, the Roundup sort of experience. Um, I've got a whole podcast on my rant against glyphosate and Roundup, um, so we don't need to get into that here. But um, yeah, so there's like all of these sort of contributing factors that come with, like you said, standard American diet, which is like mm-hmm. fast food, hamburgers, even a lot of the stuff that comes in the grocery store that like is, you know, healthy looking, even those like fruits and vegetables, if they're not organic, they they still have sort of those, those residues and those chemicals sprayed on them in the growing process. They might look really good, but they're not necessarily really good for your body in terms mm-hmm. of like containing and being connected to those pesticide things. So it's absolutely super important to, to recognize that and do that dietary work. Um, because like you said, those, those toxins in the body are, they're causing inflammation in, in the body, which, and free radical damage, which is challenging, um, cha- like putting the body in like sort of a challenged state by default, it's not in a resting state. It's not in an optimal health state. It's sort of like struggling to survive, which a lot of people, you know, feel they are. And then we've got all of the, you know, so all of those environmental toxins that are coming at us, but then also, you know, in terms of obesity, often that's linked to, you know, the fat cells are bonding to those toxic chemicals in order to keep the organs safe from them. So then you've got like high levels of built up toxins that are just stored in your fat tissue. So obviously when we think about all of those things, it makes sense that that's not going to create an optimally fertile body. Yeah. Yeah. 
I want to get all of that right from your understanding. That's sort of like my yeah. understanding. Yeah. I just, just want to check in because you're the more expert on this Absolutely. than me. I'm there's an excellent resource out there. I don't know if you're aware of it. It's environmental working group, ewg.org. And it was created by Aaron Brockovich, which hmm. most people probably remember that movie. Um, and they, they every year do a clean 15, dirty dozen produce list. So the cleanest 15 conventional grown, conventionally grown foods, lowest pesticide residue, and the dirtiest 12. So the ones that you really need to get organic. So, and they also have a whole section of their website where you can type in, they have like 40,000, um, they have like um, beauty care, you know, personal care, cleaning companies, all that where they have tested them. This, this organization does, all they do is test products and food. So you can rate your products um, using their resource. It's awesome. Um, you're right about the, the chemicals. So there's actually a term in the literature, it's called obesogen, and it means chemicals that cause obesity. Again, we, we do, we love to experiment on, an, science loves to experiment on animals. So you expose the mice to these chemicals and it turns on the pathways that cause obesity. So the chemicals are literally causing the obesity. They're, they're turning on the pathways. They change your metabolism. They change how the metabolism deals with calories. Um, so yeah, with totally normal, healthy couples, no symptoms to speak of, you know, good body mass index for their body type, four months is the minimum that I advocate for in preparing in the for pregnancy. And the first month is a cleanse. It's doing a whole 30 type diet and elimination based diet, organic, and then supporting the body's innate detox pathways, making sure there's enough fiber, self-care practices, et cetera. If there is already an issue that we know of, different types of symptom clusters or oh, significant obesity, then it's at least a year to prepare. Then that's just my my disposition. Of course, I like try to, I don't want to like shame or judge anybody who chooses something differently. Like I can, I'll try to meet you where you're at and work with wherever. But if we get to choose, that's what I would uh, recommend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. If you're, there's, there's so much, even if you have been eating healthy, clean for the last five, 10 years, what did you eat as a child? Those things can still be stored in the tissues of the body. They can be stored in and around the organs. All of that like hinders our, our optimal organ function. Um, and so, you know, if, and if people aren't already eating organic and, and sort of clean in that way, then absolutely there's going to be time you need to sort of adjust to a new diet to get into the habits of doing those things to, to create that. And those changes are not just for you. They are for the ongoing health of your family, right? Because and, it, and it's not a short-term change either. It's not like, oh, we're going to like prep for pregnancy for a year, eat really clean for a year, and then go back to our like food that was causing us to be sick and unhealthy. It's like, no, absolutely. This is like a, this is a, a radical shift in paradigm because you're aligning yourself with optimal nutrition. You're aligning yourself with optimal health and, and creating the best environment for your children. And 
And it's a little bit sad to say that people are often not really willing to take on that journey unless they're having really big health crises or unless they're, you know, really wanting the best for their kids and they're sort of going, oh, I'm doing this for my kids. Um, and I love doing that work with people where it's like, what are those underlying mental causes that that cause you to want to stay in those patterns of eating, you know, junk food that's really not great for you? You feel guilty and shameful about it. You, you know, you feel shameful, then you eat more to game, like unraveling those patterns. I love that kind of stuff. Um, and I absolutely, I absolutely enjoy that. And then, but it's really important to know. So like you talked about like a clean, a clean 30 diet or clean, what did you call it? Whole 30. Whole 30. Okay. The whole 30 diet is like, I, I, I recommend that a lot for the cleanse because that you can go like whole30.com or whatever. And there's also foods in the store that are whole 30 approved. And so there's tons of resources. There's cookbooks, there's um, shopping lists, there's all kinds of you know, the most robust resource out there for like a cleanse type diet. And the only reason I can endorse it is because it is completely built off of an elimination diet, which is like a gold standard in naturopathic medicine of figuring out your food sensitivities. So food sensitivities, also people call them like food allergies. I use sensitivity because when people, most people hear allergy, they think of like a big inflammatory response. That's obvious. But if mm. you're, if you're, if your gut and your immune system is sensitive to proteins and certain foods, it'll create a immune response in the gut. So the, the body develops actually antibodies to certain foods and causes inflammation in the gut, which of course causes inflammation everywhere. And the, so we do a lot of blood work to test the blood and see what antibodies are flowing or floating around, which is pretty good, but it's not the, the best for really figuring out and healing from those food sensitivities. The best thing is the elimination diet which hmm. the whole 30 diet is modeled after. Got it. So I, I appreciate that, that organization because they've have so many resources now available for people, but it's basically like no grains, no processed sugars, no legumes, no beans, no dairy, all the big heavy hitters that are known to cause um, inflammation in the gut. And it's like, it should be called the whole 45 or 60 because you need to go 30 days, 100% on absolutely no introducing any of these potential triggers to your system. And then after that 30 days, you need to do a, a strategic reintroduction. So after 30 days, I really want my first thing to be cheddar cheese. <laughs> that's it. I'm doing cheddar cheese for, you know, the next three days. And that's it. That's the only other food I'm bringing back in. And then I, I monitor my, my symptoms and my reactions. So long-term, if the gut is really um, tight and healed and functioning well, and you have an awesome microbiome, there should not be an issue with eating any of those foods. There mm -hmm. might be an issue if you eat them every day, three times a day, but you should be, the body should be able to deal with some foods that may, when there's too much, be inflammatory, but here and there, no problem. Mm -hmm. so like people like get freaked out about like, um, forever having, losing their favorite foods, right? Yeah. Having a restrictive diet. But I really try to like emphasize, look, this is temporary. And like in the long term, 
uh, people feel so much better. So I just, I did, this was the first month in my course was the, was the cleanse and using the whole 30. And one of the couples, the husband has chronic um, heartburn all the time, heartburn. And it went away completely hundred percent because there's not that inflammation. Like one possible, like for some people, heartburn is inflammation in the gut. Yeah. So um, I'm curious, I'm curious, cause you, you mentioned like grains, legumes, beans, and like generally, so generally those are things that people think of as sort of staples, like the, you know, the world has functioned and grown to its success on grains, legumes, and beans. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a large part um and i'm just curious about sort of your thoughts wisdom on whether or not that's because we're not soaking them do you have any thoughts around that i think it's a lot of it is because of uh conventional farming okay even even organic is like has some cross contaminations and soil quality and whatnot i mean soaking them is always better um, and probably also because of gut, gut permeability from other uh, stressors on the gut. So like, yeah, healthy gut should have no issue with beans, legumes, all of that. Those are actually awesome foods. They're high in like, um, they're high in, in, in different fat, different composition that feed the healthy bacteria. I'm thinking of butyrate, for example, like lentils, super, super healthy food, but yeah. we could all benefit from eating, like from taking a break on all of them for a while, just to give our, our gut the best chance at really healing itself and fortifying itself. So like the whole 30 diet is like vegetables, fruits, lean meats, um, you know, minimally processed nuts and seeds, healthy fats, avocados, you can do ghee, um, but it's probably a lot of it is like just taking out the processed sugar, no alcohol, you know, drinking coffee black instead of adding cream and honey to it. So it's the whole thing. I, I, I'm not going to say like the, the, the grains and the legumes are to blame, but it's just part of this bigger picture that's going on where the gut is just having to work too hard and stressed out. And so let's take away all the things for a while that the gut has to work harder on to process and okay. give it easiest things to digest that for the most part cause the littlest bit of inflammation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm just curious, cause we've talked a lot about sort of the emotional and the physical side in terms of this so far. So I'm really curious about your thoughts around sort of spiritual preparation for conception, for pregnancy or in relation to infertility. I, this is like, you know, possibly my, one of my favorite aspects of being <laughs> to tune into is like the spiritual, um, side of things. I think that my, my belief and my feelings is like, when we are like cosmic energy, a soul is coming through. I think it's important to tune into that prior to conception and really feel into like, feel into spirit, whatever that means for, for somebody, everybody has a different relationship with spirit. You know, even people who don't, aren't spirit, don't consider themselves spiritual or religious. Maybe they love nature. 
maybe they love just like being out in nature and going for a hike. So that might just look like, like going for some walks in nature and tuning into the natural world and the interconnect. It's really about the interconnectedness that we all share being part of this planet together. It's like, we're not just on the planet, we're part of the planet. And um, so like, absolutely, I felt my baby spirit for a couple years, like just kind of nagging me because <laughs> I do a lot of um, uh, like meditation and spiritual work where like, it's important to me to try to like, just tune into the vibration of nature into the stillness. I think this still, I'm a huge fan of Eckhart Tolle. Mm. I named my son Eckhart. <laughs> A huge fan, clearly. Yeah, that's beautiful. But he, his name is Eckhart Kavai Ola. It means living water. Hmm. And I didn't have his first name when he was born. We had, we had a, a kind of a list, but not really. We just didn't have his first name. I'm like, we'll get it when he's born. The second he looked, I looked at him and he looked at me. I heard his name, like kept going over and ringing in a bell in my head, like baby Eckhart, baby Eki. So it was like crystal clear, like there was no denying it. So I was like, okay, he looked like a miniature Eckhart Tolle. He was just like this <laughs> monk alien guy. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. So anyway, he Eckhart Tolle talks about the stillness. Like that's the key is to is to go into the stillness, into the spaciousness of life, to having a life where you can feel just at peace. Yeah. Um and so I think that's like, to, for me, that's, that's how I access spirit is trying to just tune into the spaciousness, into the, the stillness of life and just feeling what, what is there, what. I hope you've been enjoying the podcast so far. And I want to invite you to continue listening and hear Sierra's answer about the spiritual aspects of pregnancy and preconception in the membership area of the Joygasmic Life podcast. So we do make a lot of this content available for free. And in order to continue supporting my journey and the creation of this content for free, we do offer upgraded experiences for the members, including video from the entire episode and extra bonus content which is usually about half an hour in this case Sierra's bonus content includes uh, her take on the spiritual aspect of the stillness that can be so essential for connecting with that preconception and baby as well as her birth story which is an incredible journey of self-advocacy having done everything that she knew how to do knowing that she had the ability to claim her power and heal from any of the trauma that may have happened that happened during her transfer and her wonderful experience of a pain-free birth we get into all of that as well as a little bit more information about how you can get a hold of her in the membership section and in the membership section of the podcast you can absolutely click on the link that is in this video or audio version it's in the show notes upgrade your membership and then you will get access to not only this episode but also hundreds of other episodes where I have shared the video content for your viewing pleasure there are lots of beautiful facial expressions uh, aha moments and silly things that just don't really come through on audio only and so i absolutely encourage you to join the membership it is available on a pay what you can level and so nothing should stop you from saying yes to yourself if you're really curious about 
hearing more about Sierra's story. I absolutely look forward to having you in the membership and it includes lots of bonus content like the Joygasmic Birth eCourse, the Joygasm Experience, which is a way of anchoring incredible amounts of pleasure and energy into your body, as well as upcoming modules like Spiritual Conception, Relationship Recovery, and Circles of Commitment, How to Rescue Your Relationship When It Is Heading Towards Divorce. We have so much, and I am absolutely passionate about supporting you to keep your relationship together, be healthy, thriving, exploring, and connecting with you, yourself, your spiritual self, your partner, and your family in ways that are utterly fulfilling and joygasmic. And I absolutely love when new members join and we get to hear about their journeys and explore with them in the Joygasm Alchemy Calls and Mom Mondays. Speaking of Mom Mondays, if you have not joined in, this is a power-packed hour where we I open up space for you to connect in and ask any sort of question that you might have about your momming journey. I offer support for women to work through their sort of mental, emotional challenges around postpartum and offer the wisdom and guidance of my last 10 years of intense experience and research and discovery in terms of healing from postpartum depression tips and tricks for living a joygasmic life. I absolutely would love to see you on Mom Mondays. And we are opening up another group for joygasmic moms. So that is, uh, again, a small group of women. We run in specifically closed sessions. So it's start to finish the same group of women that you're with every week. And we show up for an hour and a half every week and are really deep diving into sister support, sharing stories, sharing experiences of our wisdom of being moms who are on a consciousness path, who are celebrating our new age wisdom, who are celebrating the multidimensionality of birth and our autonomy in making exactly our own birth choices. Whether you are looking for more support as you approach your free birth, whether you are looking for minimally assisted birth or midwife or doula or traditional birth keeper assisted birth this can absolutely be a place where you can get your sister support your woman time your you time and claim that space to help you really have the reflection time to be able to make choices that absolutely support you to be living your most joygasmic life i would love to have you as part of any or all of these groups and again all of them are available on a pay what you want model so that finances do not have to stop you from joining this experience. I have personally absolutely been there in terms of challenges with finances, and I want to make sure that this work is available to anyone who feels really, really called to be here. So if that's you and you're still listening, probably it is, head over to elenaharder.com slash joygasm to find out more about the many, many offerings that I have for you and to join in to the member much much love to you the links for everything are in the show notes and uh i'll see you next episode how easily can you imagine that this experience is integrated already deeply into every cell of your being in such a way that you will begin to notice that you have already been operating from this new behavior for a while and that it was simply a matter of noticing 
how much you've already been doing this. You may choose to feel that this moment is the moment that completely and utterly into your body. Or in the days and weeks ahead, getting curious about how fully and completely this experience has transformed your life. Realizing that you are a complete choice to choose how you would like to integrate this information into every cell of your being.